everyone. Welcome to this episode of All Things Iceland. It's Jules. And this episode is part of a series about months in Iceland. I will have links, of course, to the other months I've done so far. We're up to July, so we're getting there. We'll be eventually done with all the months so that no matter when you plan to come to Iceland, you will have information about that particular time period. And for this episode, all of the notes are in the description of the episode. So it's allthingsiceland.com forward slash July dash in dash Iceland. If you plan to visit Iceland in July, this information will help you to know what to expect when traveling during this month. That includes road conditions, what to wear and pack, what makes it worth visiting in terms of this month and what it has to offer, which there is a ton, some tips on driving in that time, top activities, even though because it's summer in Iceland, it's insane the amount of things you could possibly do, and of course, events that are happening annually during this time. Starting off with the weather and average temperature. So July is one of, or at least usually, the warmest months in the year. And warm, of course, is always in quotation marks when it comes to Iceland because honestly, I mean, I'm from New York City and for anyone who is used to really intensely warm summers, that is not Iceland. So just keep that in mind. However... The daytime temperatures are usually around 10 degrees Celsius to 15 degrees Celsius, which is 50 degrees Fahrenheit to almost 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And that is a really warm day if we get 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And if we have sun, no clouds, hardly any wind, and 20 degrees Celsius, which is 68 degrees Fahrenheit, it is a heat wave in Iceland. It is so warm and people really don't believe it until they come and experience it. But granted, I know I've acclimated quite a bit. I get that part. However, I have seen other people like tourists walking around downtown, like taking off their layers in weather like that. So I wouldn't underestimate the fact that uh, just because it's cooler than what you're used to, that it will necessarily feel cold. There's all these different conditions that come into play in order to, to create this experience. The nighttime temperatures rarely go below 46 degrees Fahrenheit or 8 degrees Celsius. And on average, it is usually one of the drier months. However, rain is something that happens in Iceland all throughout the year and can definitely happen in July, does happen in July. It also can rain part of the day and stop or rain for five minutes and then, you know, change and whatever else. So when I get into, of course, the like what to pack, We'll talk more about that, but of course, any rain gear or clothing that's water resistant will for sure come in handy. One of my favorite, in fact, my favorite thing about summer in Iceland period has to do with the midnight sun. And this is in essence when the sun go below the horizon, but the sky stays bright all day long, all day long. It's fantastic. Now, granted, for people who have a hard time sleeping when it's bright outside. I'm, I'm sorry for you. Definitely make, bring an eye mask. <laughs> but for all the rest of us who just feel like you can do activities all day long, you try to until your body just tells you to, to stop and lay down. This is a phenomenal time. It's really also fascinating just to see it. Like the sun will technically go down below the horizon at around midnight and then come up again at three o'clock in the morning. So it Honestly, just feels like the day never ends. And 
the farther north you go in the country, and then, of course, just in the world, the more prominent it is in terms of the days are even shorter. So that's just something to keep in mind if you're going to go north uh, of Iceland. And so similar to other episodes in July, the amount of daylight hours, which I'll talk about in a second, are pretty impressive. Starting on July 1st, the sun comes up officially at 3.05 a.m. and it sets at 11.56 p.m., which means that there are 20 hours and 51 minutes in the day. And like I said, even when the sun is technically set, it's still bright. Then halfway through the month on the 15th, the sun comes up at 3.40 a.m. and sets at 11.24. So you have 19 hours and 45 minutes. And then on July 31st, it is that the sun comes up at 4.30 a.m. and sets at 10.35 p.m. So 18 hours and five minutes. Granted, as you can see, because we're past the summer solstice that happened on June 21st, we end up having less daylight hours as time goes on, but it's hardly noticeable in July. It is fantastic. And which brings me, of course, to what to wear when you, or what to pack as well for coming in July. Layers is always the first thing I say. And since this is a warmer time, of course, you're not going to need like really thick under layer like a base layer but just something that can definitely wick away any type of moisture to keep you dry as much as possible because like I mentioned if it is a really nice day hardly any wind and you're hiking or whatever else then there's a good chance that you're gonna end up sweating and then being able to put on a layer like fleece or maybe with a thin wool sweater if you need some insulation but most of the time your outer layer which has the waterproof windproof is, is enough. I mean, unless you're going to be in the highlands hiking for a decent period of time, you might find you need this middle insulating layer more so because the weather is variable there. It's colder and it ends up being, you could come across snow as well. So waterproof things or water resistant things, we already talked about that other layer, but even having some pants. So I have a pair of pants that go over my regular hiking pants if it's going to be super rainy. They're really, really thin. They're very water resistant. And it's great because then you're not getting soaked to the bone in these pants and you could just take them off anytime. Same thing, of course, with your boots and your jackets. Footwear wise, it's always ideal to have hiking boots with you when you're going to be out in Icelandic nature. You can, of course, have other types of shoes for going out walking in the city, for being out in areas uh, like any type of more populated place where you're not hiking or just out in Icelandic nature, it's fine to have regular footwear. I always have a pair of sneakers with me because it's it's great to get out of your hiking boots and relax your feet. If I'm going to go out to a fancy dinner, then I like to bring at least one outfit with me that is either smart casual or a little bit more dressy depending on the occasion. People have asked me about jeans and my answer to that is not wearing them when you're out hiking, just because say it does start to rain and your jeans or whatever material that's really cotton-based gets wet, it holds onto that moisture and then it gets heavy, it's wet, and you can feel colder easily. And like I mentioned, Icelandic weather can vary a lot, so it ends up being quite annoying to go from maybe it was nice and sunny to extremely windy, overcast and rainy, and now you're stuck in these wet pair of jeans. So Hiking gear for when you're out 
or least gear that's better at wicking away moisture, keeping moisture off of you and wetness. And then in more populated areas like Reykjavik or Akureyri, places like that where you just be walking around kind of leisurely, you can wear more cotton-based or jeans and, and clothes like that. Sun protection, a lot of people, especially on glacier hikes, have ended up getting sunburned because so much light is reflecting off of the ice. So just in general, though, the sun, when it's out here in summer, can be very strong. Having a sleep mask, since we're talking about the sun and the daylight, that will definitely come in handy. Swimwear every time of the year, absolutely necessary <laughs> and such a great addition to be able to pop into your bathing suit if there's a geothermal pool that you want to check out or one of the spas, local pools, all of those places. And of course, in my free ultimate packing checklist, which is linked in the description of this episode on, on my website, I provide you with everything you need to bring. So there's a summer list and a winter list, so two separate sections. So if you end up downloading that, you'll have it for both seasons and even for the shoulder season, say like for fall, that's still more summer-ish weather. So September going into like part of or most of October. And then for spring, just bringing more things that are appropriate for winter will be useful. So just utilizing that will definitely have you prepared and able to feel like you have, you know, all the necessities for enjoying Icelandic summer. The road conditions and driving, July is definitely one of the best months to go on a road trip. And most, if not all, of the Highland roads are open. Of course, it has to do with conditions. This year, it was really good and we had amazing conditions. So F roads are open. And if you're not aware of this, during the wintertime, these roads are closed. They are mountain roads going into the highlands of Iceland which is not inhabited by anybody. And that's mainly because it's incredibly harsh to live there, to travel there. The roads are oftentimes extremely rough, having to cross deep rivers, not on every road, but still it's on a lot of them. So it's really important to know that like, if you're going to go out into a mountain road, which you're getting yourself in for, it's, it's fun, but it is a challenge for some cars and not all cars are appropriate for them. So always checking the road conditions before traveling. You can go on road, R-O-A-D.is. And of course, safe travel.is are great to check out in order to know if a road is open or if there's any kind of weather conditions that might prevent you from going there because it could be too windy or flooding or whatever else. There, there are so many different possibilities in Iceland. So just please be careful and check before you head out. And of course, car rental companies provide different types of cars for your journey. So if you're just going to be going around the ring road of Iceland, you do not need a four-wheel drive car, especially in the summertime. But if you want to, if you want one, that's totally fine, but you don't need it. If you're going into the Highlands, you do need a four-by-four car that is insured for driving on F-roads. You have to, or else... If something were to happen to you and the car, well, it's something that happens to the car, really, the cost for it would then cost, it would be fully on you. Like it's not going to be insured. So that is really important for you to know. And that brings me to the sponsor of the episode, which is Go Car Rental Iceland. And they're a local Icelandic car rental company that has great customer service, a large variety of cars, and very competitive rates. 
I have been using them and partnering with them for well over a year now. And all of my awesome listeners and followers like yourself who have used them have said they've had a great experience. So you can use my code ICELAND10 to save 10% off on your entire rental cost of your rental car. And summertime is when the cost skyrockets because of demand. So 10% off does go a long way. I've had other people reach out to me and say that they have utilized this code and saved hundreds of dollars when compared to other car companies. So for sure, make sure to use that code. And if for whatever reason, Go Carpenter Iceland is running another deal, let's just say that they you pop onto the website and they have a deal for 15% off with a different code. If you use my code, they will honor giving you 15% off with Iceland 10 or whatever the amount is that is greater if it's greater than my 10% off. And so when you use the code, you end up helping to support all things Iceland because I get a small commission from it. So I greatly appreciate it if you do use that code so I can continue making awesome episodes like this. If you're wanting to use a camper, Go Car to Iceland also has a camper van company called Go Campers. And I was using that camper or those campers over the summer. I had a ton of fun and I have episodes coming up about camper vans. So definitely keep an eye out for that. I've been compiling all the information. I just want to make sure it's as thorough as possible. But if you want to rent a camper van and save there, you can use my code Iceland7 with Go Campers to save 7% and get two free duvets with your Go Camper van rental. So lots of savings right there. Now, as I've mentioned a little bit before, why you should visit Iceland, I'm just going to give a little kind of succinct overview. So optimal road conditions, as we've mentioned, the ring road is paved. The majority of it, there might be like one or two gravel roads, but nothing that's going to make it difficult for you to drive on if you are not planning to drive into the highlands or an F-road. But if you are, access to the highlands is open and that is an incredible place. Vibrant flora. So Iceland's in full bloom. The moss is incredibly green at this time. And I know I'm using a lot of adjectives, but it's so true. Like blow your mind green. As well as flowers, different types of flowers are blooming. Lupin, this purple flower that lines the road in different areas in the country is also still around at least during the first part of this month too. Wildlife watching puffins are so adorable and they are here in Iceland during this time. It's so great to see them in places like the Westman Islands, Lautrapjörk, that's in the West Fjords. You can even see them in Reykjavik on some tours there. You can go whale watching in Reykjavik as well. The capital of whale watching though here is said to be Husavik. I've gone there. It was really fun. And there's of course other bird life, other animals. You might even see an Arctic fox. <laughs> you might even see reindeer, Icelandic reindeer in the east while you're driving. There's a lot happening and life is definitely in, in full bloom. Lots of people traveling around including Icelanders too. And last but not least, in terms of the why you should visit is the 24-hour bright long days, because it will give you the opportunity to explore as much as you possibly can within the time period that you have. When it comes to top activities, pretty much anything you could do, you know, even if you're going to be inside, like going to a museum, you just, because of this all-day brightness, you just feel like you have so much time to do a lot of things. And, or at least the things I would highly recommend to take advantage, though, of this time is for sure hiking the highlands or at least taking some type of a tour into them if you don't want to drive yourself. 
puffin watching, whale watching, glacier hiking. Glaciers look different in summer than they do in winter. Going to more remote places that are not necessarily like the highlands, but like the west fjords, the east fjords, places where in the winter or late fall, early spring, it's really difficult to get to because the roads could be filled with snow or the driving conditions are just not great. So the West Fjords, one of my ultimate favorite places, and I'm very fortunate to have been visiting there almost every year for some period of time. So I always recommend it. And when I go there, it's just like my heart feels full. It's great. And, and hardly anyone goes there. There are some cruise ships that go to Isa Fjordavud, but it's a different experience when you're going to parts of it where these ships aren't going. If you want more recommendations on amazing things to do, I have a few options for people who want help with planning their epic adventure in Iceland. And for all the things that I talk about kind of in this section of plan your July adventure in Iceland with ease, all those links will be on my website under trip planning help. There's a tab at the top of my website. It's in a navigation. So it's called trip planning help. You press that or click it and uh, on allthingsiceland.com and it shows this list of, of trip planning resources that you can use. So one option is to do a one-on-one hour-long video consultation with me. After filling out a short survey and choosing a date in my calendar that works for the both of us, we basically hop on a Google Meet video call and discuss how you can best use your time. I have done 82 of these so far. I decided to count today because I was like, oh, how many have I done? And I was so surprised. And I was like, wow, 82 of these calls. And it's been a blast virtually meeting many of you who are podcast listeners, many who are following me on social media. And also the feedback I've gotten has been so awesome and helpful in terms of understanding what people are needing. And then also knowing that this is helping people to feel more confident about their trip just kind of going through how many days they have, what the possible things you could do each day on the call. And then, of course, things that you might not know about or maybe you heard about but weren't sure. And I'm really glad to be able to provide that. If you prefer not to jump on a video call, but you do want some personalized help, you can purchase a personalized itinerary that I will make for you. And lastly, another option, the third option that I'm listing here is if you feel like planning it all yourself, but you want to know about hidden gems and places that you just might not be aware of because you don't live here. You know, not every blog is talking about all the things because they probably, they don't even all know them too. It just really depends on what your resources and, and what they've talked about. But you can grab my Iceland map. So I've compiled over 250 awesome places, activities, accommodations, and more on this map. And if you decide to get full access to it, you will also receive all of the pre-set itineraries or pre-made itineraries that I've put together. Those itineraries include a 10-day epic summer ring road adventure, a three-day south coast adventure, the famous golden circle route, and a Reykjanes Peninsula day trip itinerary. And if I make any updates, which I am always making updates to this, when I first launched this in July actually of 2023, I had 200 places and then I've added over 50 and since then. So I'm now adding even more, but you'll have access to that because you have lifetime access when you get uh, full access to the map. So any updates I make, you get and can continuously add on to your itinerary. Regarding events in July, one thing to know is that July in 
Iceland's pretty interesting in that many Icelanders end up going on vacation during this month. So there's not major events or holidays happening, but there are certainly activities going on that are annual that could be of interest to you. So, for instance, there's a song festival in Hapnafjörður called Songhaltith i Hapnatborg, and that's a pretty fun one in lots of variety of like beautiful music. And then during the last weekend of July, if you head to the west, so West Iceland is a place called Reykholt for their chamber music festival. So they have four concerts that collaborate with the Snorastova Center, which is dedicated, that Snorastova Center is dedicated to the Icelandic medieval writer, historian, and chieftain Snorri Sturluson, who at the time was like the richest Icelander in the country. And that could be something, you know, people who really like music can go to. In the East, they seem to do a bit more uh, in terms of things going on in the summertime, especially during July, like the Blaua Kirkjan concert series. So in Seydisfjörður, which is a town in the East, there is a rainbow street leading to a blue church. And Blaua Kirkjan means blue church, as well as they have the Lunka Festival in the same town, which is a workshop-based international art festival for young people in mid-July. Then there's also the Esnaflug Festival, which is a heavy metal festival, which takes place in Neskoipstadur, which is just another area, another town, small town in East Iceland. And last but not least is the Breislan Festival, which takes place in Borgarfjörður Estre. There are a lot of puffins to be seen there. So if you want to go to that mu- music festival in a renovated fish factory, you can add on also going to the puffin viewing area and see some super cute little birds. For anyone who is a fan of Icelandic horses, there's a national Icelandic horse competition, and this ends up being late June into early July, and they rotate locations. It's They could change the dates into all of July, but ordinarily it's late June into early July. And all, a link to all of those, of course, are in the description of this episode on allthingsiceland.com forward slash July dash in dash Iceland. For the random fact of the episode, it is said that in Iceland during July, we average 171 hours of sunlight during this month. For a country that often is in the dark most of the year, it's really nice to have that much sunlight during July. So I'm always really much happier (laughs) just even roaming around on the streets of Reykjavik because there's sunlight out all throughout the day. The aesthetic word of the episode is Yuli, Yuli, and altogether Yuli, which means July in Icelandic. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful for planning a trip if you're going to be visiting Iceland in July. And if you feel inclined to leave a review if you've enjoyed it, I highly appreciate that because it gives people who are looking into listening or trying to find information about Iceland an idea of what they can expect from different episodes and your experience thus far. Thank you.